0: Welcome back to Project Outsiders. If you are returning, thank you so much for your support and joining us along on our journey to improving the foster care system. For those who are new, welcome to the Foster Care Experience Podcast. We are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth and care with decision-makers. We are all youth from care who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure we see changes to a disconnected system. Welcome to the last episode, the season finale of the Foster Care Experience podcast. Yay! (laughs) We have completed a total... Of 14 episodes now which has been amazing and this journey has just been incredible incredibly educational and enlightening and I'm so incredibly happy if you've listened to every single one of the youth stories you are really making a difference in our lives just by listening for those who are new here we are a youth-led social organization that is trying to bridge the gap between youth in care with decision makers. We are all kids from care who have been pushed by our experiences to ensure that we see changes to a disconnected system. We're incredibly passionate and we want to create paths and new opportunities for other youth in care. And so for our last episode, I am so excited for this conversation. <laughs> you don't understand. To officially end off this season, I have with me a person who I have known for a very long time. In fact, we both live in the same group home for almost a year. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) And so we go way back, and we both have shared a lot of crazy experiences that we didn't even fully understand and realize the extent of how crazy it was until probably just now. (laughs) And so who is this person? (laughs) He is Samuel. Hi, how's it going? In today's episode, we have Samuel Asher Beckham and he has been a good friend of mine for a very long time. He's a very passionate advocate who has done public speaking work in the past with 360 Kids. He wants to venture into politics to be able to influence policies for the betterment of vulnerable youth in Ontario. And he's an incredibly bubbly, kind-hearted, amazing human being that I have the pleasure to know and have the, had the pleasure to see grow just a little bit. And so I'm very curious to know a lot more about you, about what your life has looked like after you have um, left the group home he left first before me. I want to start off with this. I know that we've lived together for a little bit and we both went through a lot. And I still remember a lot of your story when we used to sit down and we pretty much have done this with like a lot of other kids who have come in and out of the group homes. It's like one of the first questions, what's your story, you know? What happened to you? Why are you here? <laughs> kind of thing, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and and yeah. so, Yeah, like I would love for you to share it yourself here and tell us like, you know, what had led up to you um, being in that same group home as me.
1: So my family and I immigrated here from Kazakhstan in 2008. Um, I come from a pretty conservative family, uh, type of family that like doesn't really understand how the LGBT plus community or identities work. We immigrated here my family dynamic wasn't the greatest. Uh, let's say I was experiencing a lot of, like, physical abuse from my dad. And there was also the domestic violence issues with my mom and dad. So in grade nine, I came up to one of my teachers and told her, essentially, look, listen, things at home are pretty bad. My dad is beating me. I need some help. I remember her asking me, do you realize that I have to, I have to report this to Somerset Society. And I was like, yeah, uh, I know. And she was like, are you sure you want me to do this? I said, yeah, that's kind of the reason why the I'm, point, like, I'm yeah. it okay. anyway. Essentially, I stayed in three different foster homes for a period of six months. One out of the three homes were good. Two, like, the t- other two were absolutely awful. The first one I lived in, the Foster parent, basically, my foster mom wasn't the greatest. She actually, I actually remember coming up to her and saying, Hey, uh, I think I'm France. And she was like, mm, you're too young to know that. Fast forward to now, I'm definitely a man. They moved me out of the first foster home due to uh, issues with her and like another foster kid. Moved me over, I was with Markham, and then they moved me up to Barrie. Stayed there for two weeks with a very lovely lady who... I couldn't stay any longer with because I was going to school in Markham and she was all the way up in Barrie. Then they moved me to in with this couple out in like Mount Pleasant, like but nowhere. Very weird. At, at that time, I was having like visitation visits with like my family and stuff like that because at the end of the day, virtual days, their their plan at the end of the day is to reunite the family. But living in foster homes sucks so much. I remember thinking to myself, is it is it just gonna be better if i live with my family instead of foster care yeah and things were going well with the foster parents i was living with so i was like it I'll be back with my family stayed with my family from age i stayed with my family for two years before i wanted to group homes and for the two years i was really having a lot of questions about my sexuality as well as my my gender it's just so funny like looking back on that because for a period of time I thought to myself oh yeah sure I'm a trans dude but like yeah being trans you know there's a lot of transphobia and stuff like that that you face from society so I, I was just really in denial about it up until I funny enough, was in the hospital for a suicide attempt because that's just how it'd be. The friend that, like, helped me, call 911, was with me and told them, hey, Sam uses he-him pronouns. And the doctors were all very sweet about it. They all asked me again and again, like, your friend told us that you use these pronouns, like, do you want want us to use them? And I was like, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. And they were all like, no, seriously, like, this is a very welcoming hospital. We even have one of the head pediatricians here is trans, you know, like, seriously, like, it's okay. Yeah. And I had a bit of a moment where I was like, you know what, the world isn't that bad. There's enough people in this world who are genuinely accepting and welcoming to make it worthwhile. Realized I was trans, and around this point, uh, it was about, yeah, it was about, like, 15, 16. I started to, you know, be like okay right I'm trans what what do I do from here so a teacher at my school was like okay well let's get you connected with a family doctor so that you can start your position after a few appointments with that doctor she was like okay I sent a referral for you to the kids gender clinic uh, we should hear back from them in a few weeks and I was so excited about it I was so stoked I texted my friend I was like hey Finally got the referral to the gender clinic, and I sent the, the text to my mom instead of my friend. Um, oh. Yeah. I get, my mom sends, sends me a text being like, what? And I'm like, nothing. Just ignore that. Oh. I get home. My parents are, like, having this huge fight. I was like, F- it. You know what? I'm, I'm going to go over to my friend's place because I don't feel safe here. Which kick-started the process for me to get into group homes. I had this um, big meeting w- with the school and my family being like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm trans. I don't feel safe living with you guys. I'm going to essentially give myself up for foster care again. And <clears> that <throat> is how I actually moved in with you, Janice. Well, I, I think I got into the group home first. Yeah, And then a few months later, you moved in. Yes. yes. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how you and I started living together um,
0: Yeah. in this i'm telling you we're gonna oh we have stories guys this is why i'm so excited about this episode is because we have stories but i do really appreciate you just like kind of telling us your journey of how you kind of like came to the realization of that you were like a trans man and i'm kind of like curious as to like what was the point that you knew for sure that yes this is who I am this is my identity was it like in the hospital when like the nurses gave you that validation?
1: Looking back on it I actually do remember where I fully didn't realize that I'm a trans dude I had so before I started identifying as a trans man I uh, identified as like genderqueer essentially I just used a them pronouns and just left it at that and I went to a LGBT plus, uh, like, event for, that was hosted through York Film State, not York Film State, sorry, York Region, the York Region School Board. And I met a trans woman there who was, you know, an older trans woman who was, like, in her 40s, 50s. And she had a, she had a workshop where she was talking about her, like, you know, identity and how she came to realize how was that. Mm-hmm. She is who she is. And at that moment, like, again, as I was saying, I had a lot of, like, second thoughts about being trans just because I didn't want to, like, face any, like, transphobia or homophobia. And just seeing somebody who is way older than me, who's been identifying as trans for, like, a good portion of her life, and she was going about her life as normal. She was working at a bank. She had even ran for mayor of Toronto in 2000 and got third. And at that point, I was like, oh, my God, if this woman is able to, like, live her life and live it happily, yeah, I should be able to as well. That's
0: facts. I'm so happy that, like, you just, like, prioritized yourself. That is really hard to do sometimes when you're kind of, like, you know, you have culture behind you that just rejects it completely, you know, and that, like, if especially knowing how your parents received it. I personally know, well, I don't know, but I remember in the group home, like meeting your parents at some times and they were starting to be like a little bit more accepting and stuff. And so like, yeah. that was kind of like, knowing that you took that leap and this is something really hard for a lot of people to do is to accept or be willing to actually change because change is uncomfortable and change oh, yeah. is scary. You did it and you then you know, feel so much more satisfied by that decision because now people are going to accept you regardless because you're here, you're present, and your impact in other people's lives, like mine, it's lasts, it stays around, right? How was, like, the agency supporting your transition?
1: Ooh, at first they were pretty good about it, like, um, well, obviously they have to be because or else they get, well, get yeah, by, by, you know, the parental advocate. But you know, at first it was okay. Like they, like especially moving into the group home with you, they, um, like they advocated for me. They were like, okay, look, like this guy is trans. You have to use these pronouns for him. These are his needs, this is what he's looking for. Remember the first week living at the group home, the staff actually changed the bathroom so that they weren't like, okay, this is the men's bathroom and this is the women's bathroom and made them both just straight up gender neutral. So that was good. Uh, however, like I said, at first they were great about it. They got me a binder. They supported my position. But then as soon as I came up to them about, hey, I'd like to get top, top surgery, OHIP will cover a good portion of it. The only thing they're not going to cover is the the procedure that's done afterwards to... Because basically what they do is they take out your uh, mammary glands. They... Take out the excess fat that's in the the breasts, and then yeah, I don't remember, but there is. Oh, wait, right, that's the term Ca- countering, contouring, contouring. That's um, <laughs> um, the government does not cover the contouring, so that's about uh, like $1, $50, 100 $2, 000. So I went to, to a date about that. I was like, okay, look, listen. Oh, Hip Plus is going to cover most of this. All I need you to do is just cover the $2,000 for my surgery. And they stood up and just said no. They said that they don't have the funding. They they don't have the funds allocated for this specific need, even though I said, well, let's say I needed this life-saving surgery. You would pay for it, right? Yeah. And I said, well, this is technically life-saving for me. I don't see why this would be not cover it um I even actually ended up going to the provincial advocate about it the advocate Mm -hmm. came back to me and said like yeah they what we can do they just straight up said like they don't have the money for it that sucked do you remember how your worker was like hey you have this money set aside in this like savings account yeah that you can take out when you're 18 yeah my worker was like why don't you just use that money I was like the money I'm gonna use for first and last yeah Yeah. I no like you're making me choose between a surgery that i need versus my house like don't, don't you see how
0: up that yeah that is that, that there's, yeah. there's a lot to impact there man uh, a lot of i remember specifically like when i had first come to the group home and i was like trying to understand or like uh meet everybody it's just like a weird thing or Position to be in anytime that you're entering a new house, you just feel so like sad and just like floaty and stuff like that. I was like, God, this is a change and it's really uncomfortable. And so, but I have no other choice but to adapt. And so, I was trying to get to know everybody. And then, when they had told me about you, and obviously, they have to like emphasize to everybody who comes in that you are trans and stuff. Uh, like I want to, I personally was feeling like, okay, I have to make sure that I I use like your correct pronouns. Like I was really fearful of like making those kind of like mistakes um, at the very beginning. And you were so just like chill and accepting and understanding. You were like, hey, pretty much like I'm new to this as well. And, you know, I will completely understand as long as you're trying. And you were always just like, so so just about it so about like lgbtq community and advocating for others in that like sphere in that community and just like always trying to educate people around just like that community and stuff and so like you were clearly just like passionate and um very um open to teaching other people and making sure that others just do their job right like the workers should doing their job and making youth feel uncomfortable because of the position that we're in
1: honestly the way i look about it like you know how you mentioned like you know you were really nervous about you know getting my photos right like just you know giving me the respect that i that i needed or not need but the share i know that at the end of the day like you said like this is this was new to me as well like i i don't know what the fuck is going on you don't know what the fuck is going on we're all kind of lost in this situation. But when it comes to educating people in regards to uh, the LGBT plus community, just like the, just the topic of transness, I understand that, like, I'm not going to get anywhere by, I guess, argue with the person. Like, obviously, I was probably, like, the first trans person that you had met that was out. So, like, I'm not going to shit on you for f***ing up a little bit. You can't educate anybody by being hostile. Yes. Like I'm not like especially like if it's somebody is transphobic. Like obviously to a certain point, I'm not gonna fucking like take it, but I will at least try to be like, okay, look, listen, like you're obviously misinformed and ignorant. I am sure that like as long as you understood and were educated in this subject matter, you'd be fine about it. And that's the case for like a lot of people I meet. Mean, they're just you know misinformed and don't understand how it works Oh uh, god what's the saying? ignorance breeds hate and- <laughs> no as long as like you know you're
0: we're just trying to make the effort to be respectful in the same space right because like we're living together now we're going to be sharing the same space and so we kind of have to just learn to live with like each other and and then like like be cordial regardless. And so, um, you know, sometimes it was really hard for me to learn, not necessarily with you, cause I've never had an issue with you, honestly, just, but with other people in the <laughs> group home. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> bro. It was just, I, I was just a different person. You know, I kind of didn't take shit when it came to like certain treatments with staff. And some of the stuff that went down, even with like other youth. And so I kind of tried to just still be peaceful, you know, Mm -hmm. but I always like wanted to maintain this level of respect, you know, for everybody. If I respect you, I expect the same return and type of thing. Man, it's so vivid now in my head since I'm sitting here with you, like the things that we kind of experienced. I'm wondering if like, it's cool if we say names or I don't wouldn't really
1: mind. You know uh yeah i'm sure b- wouldn't mind i don't know about everybody else
0: yeah we'll just like yeah. reference them in a different way because like there is one person that i want to bring up and i think you know exactly who i'm going to be bringing up
1: doesn't because... does their name start with a d
0: yeah
1: oh yeah
0: and it's for like it's from a different perspective though i love listen is like my my human now, <laughs> and we've stayed connected. He's actually helped me so much with this podcast, with creating of it. You hear him in the background of some episodes and stuff, and you see him like walking around just so...
1: <laughs> He's just like his being own himself, Being this weird little guy that we absolutely love. Yeah, that was like,
0: <laughs> here's like the thing about like our group home. So I was kind of like the mom in the group home he declared himself as like dog (laughs) remember that
1: and then you were like I was the baby
0: you were the baby yeah and so uh and then there was and all of them I still like uh, I still love I still keep in touch with him as well oh yeah yeah. he was like the ghost he was the ghost he was declared as the ghost He he
1: was the quiet like he, he was always like a such a quiet and chill dude that like just like I don't know he, I have a lot of love for that guy because he like even when we were living together I could see like all this shit that he had to put up with and yeah. yeah all this like hardship that he had to like you know get o- work on with and stuff like that but like every single day he was just so strong and, and was a cool dude yes all the time that that's
0: guy. one thing that everybody said about him is that he was such a hard worker he would work all hours of oh, the yeah. night and come home late with some Popeyes and whatever just high as
1: fuck. high as shit just buying his own business eating his <laughs>
0: and I remember like we would be in meetings or just like talking and then like you would just turn around and he's there. You wouldn't even hear him coming. He would just appear (laughs) like so silent. That's why he was like the ghost. He would be like in and out and just like no one had ever had an issue with everybody, regardless of who they were and regardless of like what type of personality was inside that group home, whether they're like hard people you know who are just like tough guys or wanted to appear as tough guys or if they're just like loving quirky kind of like I love (laughs) Harley Quinn you know (laughs) like everybody just adored he like he had principles right and Mm -hmm. it was very clear that like hey we we help each other we respect each other we don't rob each other or at least I won't rob you I will rob the rich (laughs) kind of like Robin Hood (laughs) yeah and yeah. uh yeah and like then there's like he kind of just gave me the most amount of headache <laughs> in the group
1: it home. was it was always really funny because i could uh the one thing about is and, and this is something like i like you know when i tell people my experience in group homes and stuff like that it's always a group The most funny person to bring up just how he loved to just run up and down the stairs and like from one point of the house to the other just at full speed.
0: And then he would just, ah, there's like certain things that he just did. That was just like, I will be in the kitchen just working away. That's just my identity. If you just knew me in the group home, you knew that I was that person that was just in the kitchen, came home from like school, maybe sometimes late, went straight to the kitchen and did homework to like 3 o'clock. You were the
1: wonder child of the group. You were the only one that actually gave a fuck a f- about your score. You were always like, okay, I have to sit down. I have all of these school projects I have to work on. I have to get a good grade. I have these f- universities I had to apply for. And meanwhile, me and the rest of the guys are just like, hey, do you want to smoke some weed? <laughs> Everybody, <laughs> I remember when like you guys got me to smoke weed for the first time. <laughs> I don't even remember that. What? I did you smoke weed? We were able to convince you to do that. What?
0: It was so funny. I remember it vividly. Like we went. I think we went to some kind of school or something like that. It was late, and um, like <laughs> I don't even know why I should be saying this, but it was from like a bong, and I remember just killing my throat I was just like. Ah! <laughs> Uh, what is this? I don't like it. And then for the rest of the night, I was just eating these crackers and they taste so good. (laughs) But yeah. Um, But I personally want to emphasize one thing though, specifically just like with the structure of the group home. It frustrated me. It frustrated me so much because I have seen so many kids go into that group home, starting from just like a place of struggle, a place of wanting to seek help, and then leaving with hard addictions, leaving feeling helpless, homeless, useless, worthless, everything, right? And that was me. That was me as well. I went in with like a vision, a path nobody's going to mess it up for, for me or whatever and throughout my time there i kid you not the staff just picked at me they were like no you're not allowed to do your homework here you're not allowed to do it in the office you can't do it in the kitchen anymore or you have a timeline of how much time you could spend or whatever they would try and oh it just drove me crazy how like they wouldn't at least give at, and I want you to share your experience, but they wouldn't give me a break. I was yeah. trying, I was trying, and they got in the way of it. And I, for that, can't ever forgive them.
1: Right? Oh yeah. No. Uh, with me, it was a little, a little weird. That's for sure. It's because, like, when I first went into there, I, uh, how I actually started public speaking for them was we had this like event happened where it was like a staff appreciation event thing for like the staff of 360 and they brought all of us because well they couldn't just leave us alone in the house because we burned the place down um if we were not supervised for uh, for any amount of time they brought us along and they asked us like hey do you guys want to like say something like to the to the staff mitch went up first his speech was just filled with as many profanities as he could put in a speech and then i went i went up and i was like okay like look thank you i appreciate having a safe place where i'm allowed to be myself Uh, and i had the like after i i said my piece i had the ceo of the company come up to me and be like hey we have a fundraising gala in a few weeks would you like to be one of the speakers um i was like yeah yeah sure so after that, I kind of became like the poster child for the group. Like yes. the, oh look at this kid, he's doing so much, he's so responsible, and yeah. I just slowly went down the path of I hate all of this, I hate all of you.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yes, and it's mostly just because like I that was the first time in my life where I had the opportunity to just say, f-. I mean, yeah. like even like looking back on it, I always had a problem with authority. I still do it was deeper Mm. than
0: that like oh I would love to like like, go in because there's so many vivid things that like I remember that it like honestly stopped me if like I ever kind of go over the line or talk about anything that you're uncomfortable with but like for sure with like the whole like poster child, public speaking thing. They tokenized you. And it upset, yeah. it upset me. Especially when you did that interview, I think with like, or,
1: oh, uh, God, yeah.
0: was it like Toronto or something like that? Oh, it
1: was multiple. I did, I did interviews for, uh, City <laughs> TV. I did one for <laughs> City yeah. And then later on, I did a very short one for Yeah. Yeah, they just kind of like, put me on as many, like, of these, like, ed- like news bots as they can to be like, hey, look at how progressive we are. We yes. have this trans kid who we're, we're just gonna push all of these shit on and uh, hope that he gets us as much money as he can.
0: Okay. Yes. And I remember you coming home and telling us or telling me at least like how the interview went and how they they told you to like sit on like this swing and make you look sad and just like tell you how like depressed you were and how like you got kicked out of your home because you were trans and how you in and they saved your life. It was like in my eyes, I was livid. I was so upset because they took advantage of you. What they don't realize, what they probably, they know that's a lie. They realize this because they're teaching you to just like learn how to be helpless and learn how to just like rely on these different programs to save you. Right. And it was, ah, it was so frustrating because I saw other sides of you. I saw, yes, I saw you when you were like depressed and anxious and you wouldn't come out of your room for like days sometimes, you know? And, but I also saw you when you were happy and bubbly and just like constantly going out, obviously skipping school, (laughs) but going out, you were interacting. Like I saw both sides. I saw you when you went and got diagnosed. I saw you when you wanted to like be better, do better. I saw you in like your hard times and the good times when you helped out and cooked. I remember with like Glenette and Nigel, the first time I think when I started to come first like month or so and I was helping you cook this meal. Mm -hmm. It was like this chicken meal and you were so proud of it and stuff. Um, And it tastes really good and it smelled like the whole house smelled really good. But I, (laughs) but it wasn't your fault. One of the staff he took the chicken out too early <laughs> and oh yeah the chicken was undercooked it was undercooked so oh, I got sick Lord.
1: afterwards me and Nigel were just like <laughs> yeah I think I remember which staff it was uh yeah it was it, it, I think some of the I staff I, I I look up back on them and I'm like you were you should not have been helping us you don't know how to cook he was a good one. He was a good one. Like, he cared. And that's kind of,
0: like, one of the things that, like, I looked for. He was consistently just real and raw, right? But there were some staff who were manipulative. And- oh,
1: yeah. Absolutely. How? Oh. the supervisor.
0: I can't even call out her name. I won't. I refuse to. Obviously, I like, don't remember her name. not so. smart to. But I do just remember how cold she was constantly, right? And how yeah. just, like it was hard to go to anybody if we had a problem because they would always take the staff side, at least in my eyes, if something went down, it was just, yeah, no, I want to hear what you were going to say, but if it, it, once again, it just like angered me when I saw people just constantly being kicked out like, because like, yeah, they were struggling, but what are you expecting? Right. When you take in these youth. This yes. is supposed to be 360. You're changing their life completely around. So you have to be prepared for what you're taking in.
1: Yeah, for staff who were supposed to, you know, go to school and learn how to not put up with us, I guess it's a little a little mean to say about myself and all of us, but um like for people who were supposed to be educated to in helping us to, like know how to go about like dealing with our like uh our mental breakdowns and stuff like that they really just like it, they really just treated us like oh god it's just other another kid I have to deal with I'm just here to make my like I don't know how much they were making probably like 20-25 dollars an hour yeah a lot of these people a lot of the staff just looked like they were just so burnt out and, and yeah. not want to deal with this anymore and I guess that is just kind of like the unfortunate truth about the social working uh, yeah yeah. I, I'm not excusing it at all it's more or less like an explanation in my head that I've come up with uh, they, they probably weren't good staff when they first started out don't get me wrong they probably true. did care they did want to do everything they could for the kids but Very
0: true.
1: because of the uh, probably lack of support on their end as well which sometimes Oh, and just just becoming so desensitized to all of it just being like you know what F- I don't give a shit about these kids they're just being fucking yeah yeah. yeah especially with the uh, the supervisor she really was like one of the people that turned me into the poster child of the organization same thing with the lady in the marketing not marketing sorry the fundraising department of the group home but yeah no I remember actually towards the end of me staying there uh we had a I don't know if you remember this we had uh, a cockroach infestation in oh the yeah
0: kitchen. I remember and
1: yeah I remember I actually <laughs> I went up to the uh the program manager in at like the head office because I was there like talking to the fundraising lady and I asked her hey like often are they supposed to spray the house it's like all once a month like once a month so yeah I'm like I have not seen the house get sprayed even once in my one year of living there I was like what I'm like yeah it's okay though I'll go talk to the I'll talk to the supervisor but don't worry and I went up to the supervisor the next day I was like hey miss um how often is the house supposed to be sprayed she's like oh you know like every three months or so but we don't need to spray it so often. I'm like, are you sure? Because so-and-so, the project manager, says that you're supposed to do it once a month. Immediately, her expression changed. It, like, dropped. And she just turned around, went downstairs into her office, and the next day, we have an (laughs) exterminator.
0: See? It's just, like, you want to put kids in better living situations, because you're here to, like, try and better their circumstances, right? And so, yeah, like having a nice clean house that's not infested with like rats or cockroaches or anything like that is like a minimum, you know, yeah. right? Uh, so I agree. Yeah. And it's really frustrating when like staff kind of just don't take you seriously until you kind of have to uh, get other people higher up involved. It's just, yeah. It, it shouldn't have to be like that yeah yeah, and yeah no
1: time? i can't i can't believe i have to go to the project manager just just to get like you know like anything done like mm-hmm. like you said it, it's like it's literally the bare minimum of living in a clean house yeah having food that's not fine. i mean yes. you need to buy your own food at one point right like yes listen that
0: was that. one thing that i was aha i remember see <laughs> but here's the thing i tried so hard to like advocate for you guys too to just like get a better living situation because i was i was just not having it and so i would try to constantly negotiate and they constantly told me that like going shopping with them or whatever or they kind of like emphasized the idea that food is a privilege it's not a yeah. right And that is one thing that upset me. The fact that I had to like start working and pay for better groceries for everybody else in that house is like inexcusable. I complained all the time about how at the end, not even mid, by the mid of the week, any kind of fresh produce, meat or whatever was gone. You were not getting enough groceries for seven kids, seven Pretty much teenagers, right? Who are all living in the same house together. I was constantly cooking. I was constantly cleaning. I remember the Sunday
1: breakfasts that I'll always make with yeah. crepes
0: and bacon and um, eggs. That oh,
1: I, I love like you. Good. You you always did a, such a good job of like making the breakfast and stuff like that, and like at least yeah. making that house feel somewhat normal. Yeah. I guess like we were we weren't living in like this weird circle like we were all so like fed up with, and you know, yeah. we had a morning breakfast and we all sat at the table. Yeah, so. <laughs> I remember I was kind
0: of strict with that too. Like, breakfast, y'all f- better come down. <laughs> I was aggressive. <laughs> uh, I remember my little antics, but it was really frustrating that, like, the I remember them specifically saying, and I'll be like, okay, you guys, are, it's Tuesday, here is my list of groceries, and every time sure. I bur- write up a list they would just not even like look at it well they would look at it and maybe take some things into consideration but all yeah. of us if we needed to cook something we would have to write a list of produce and stuff that we would need for our day to cook um and so i would do that and they just would still not get a whole bunch of things on the list so i asked them okay can i go grocery shopping with you and then sometimes they would include me and then other times they would just be like no that is a privilege you cannot and then those days would be missing a whole lot of stuff it's so, okay they would come back with groceries i would figure out okay what is missing out of what i had requested and then i would go and buy more groceries myself to last us a little bit longer in the week and it was frustrating yeah. that i had to do that and like it like small things like that what I cook i would complain about yo we should not be relying on having like canned soup expired canned soup all the time oh, yeah like oakley was okay with it oakley admitted that yeah they were not being fed properly all they had was like the most of the time that we have for dinner would be like soups and sandwiches or something like basic and unhealthy like that. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. I would make macaroni pie. I would try and make jerk chicken sometimes. And I, I remember ackee and saltfish, some Caribbean foods oh, that I knew okay. that, yeah, yeah. But I would cook. I, I was trying to make it like a clean living space or whatever. And They just, the more I would do it, the more they would expect from me. And then even if I needed a break, even if I needed me time, if I wasn't in a good space, they would take it out on me. Yeah. Right. Like I would tell them and I would sit down and give them the rules that, listen, Hey, if my room is messy, it's meaning that like I'm not in a good place right now. So please just like either approach to me and ask if I'm okay, or just like give me some space, give me like time to collect myself. And they did it.
1: One thing that I also, like, look back on and feel like they should have done more is, you know, when I started to get worse in terms of, like, my behavior as well as just my mental health in general. And, you know, with somebody that I shouldn't have been hanging out with. But that just didn't give a shit. Like, they saw like that. I was getting worse, I wasn't going to these events that I was going to. I wasn't doing public speaking anymore. I was going out, skipping school, not giving a shit about single thing kind of they were like you know what F- it. I don't want to have to deal with this kid either not once do I remember them coming up to me being like hey like are you okay like this I've noticed like a huge change in your behavior um so no, they did absolutely fall
0: yeah yeah no
1: like my behavior like got so bad that like when I switched to group home I just I did worse I yeah i got addicted to cocaine and like I was doing all this other shit uh, I remember
0: yeah. that uh yeah it broke my heart and me and Mitchell kind of still talk about it to this day about kind of what you went through after what's his name came into the group home you know yeah quite frankly I was Some of the things that you guys came back and the stories that you guys would tell me of what you've done throughout your day, always like skipping school, sometimes Robbie the liquor store. And, but like, let me know if like, you want me to include this or not. Um, It's just like, it just, even when you would talk about like, you would spend a lot of your days just like begging on the streets and stuff for like cash because we needed it, it was just, it broke me. I'm like, no, Sam, like, you're being set up right now and you don't see it. And I saw like when you even, you Mitchell sometimes will be a part of your little group after like, I remember one time we went camping and you guys didn't come and so you guys stayed in like blue doors or something like that. Yeah. Like slept under bridges and things. I'm like, Sam, it it was hard to see.
1: Yeah. Like especially like looking back on all of that, like sometimes I I look back on it and I'm like, what? I do that. Like, what? What? What the fuck was up with me? Literally, the only thing, like, the reason why I did all those things that I did was I was still trying to figure out who I was. Yes. And you know, like, exactly. trying to be like, okay, well, I'm a guy now. I'm a man. What do guys do? I don't know. I guess I'm just gonna follow these these dudes and see what the fuck they're doing and just copy yeah. what they're up to. And I didn't know any better. I yeah. had no support system, or anybody that I could look up to, I, what I really needed was, like, a parental figure, really, like, a fatherly figure, or, like, a brother, or something, to, like, help me out, yeah, and I had none of those, and so I just went to what the next best thing was, and it was the guy, that one guy, um, yeah, and, like, I, I feel like he also knew that, that I was like very easily horrible. manipulated, and like I, he could make me do whatever the you he wanted me to do.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Uh, so yeah, like looking back on that, it's like really tough. But like at the end of the day, I'm just kind of glad that like I know mm-hmm. who I am. And, like, yeah. I do what I want to do.
0: I'm happy that those years didn't define the rest of you. It didn't define the rest of your future. It was a phase of you just, like, trying to find your identity. and But in somewhere deep inside of you, you just knew that that's just not who you were. Yeah. No, I was just saying, like, I'm so happy that, like, in the end, you know who you are. And, like, those things, those years didn't define you. And other people didn't define what your path was going to be. Because I get it. He was struggling as well. Um, he like had a different upbringing, a different group around him, and different um, you know reflections of what a man was in his perception yeah. and it was like a lot more violent, it was a lot more robbery and just gang and stuff like that and that 's just not who you are and that got me that got me thinking like it 's important to be able to have like some kind of mentorship, but imagine having mentorship yes. from like either it could be just men for like trans men to help them learn what it really truly means to be a man you know things like that I don't know what you think about that
1: oh god I have a lot of opinions on that actually you know like how you mentioned like or how I mentioned having a mentor and somebody to show you what it like means to be a man like a lot of trans dudes I find obviously don't have that just like I don't So they turn to what the stereotype of a man is so society says that men are tough they don't have emotions they are assholes um and all this stuff and so you know like that's kind of how i was as well i was like okay well that's what i'm in if i'm gonna be that and yeah. it wasn't and it took me a while to be like no being a man at the end of the day well first off gender is f- big it's a social construct um <laughs> <laughs> and at the end of the day I know that like yeah I'm a man but I'm very soft I, I'm i quite emotional I love animals I, I have two cats that I absolutely love I am also very I, at least I try to be very you know aware of like my own behaviors in terms of like toxic masculinity and um, how I just treat people in general yeah and it took me a while to like figure that out it took me years and I I did at one point you know succumb to the toxic masculinity like the toxically masculine like way of thinking because I had a uh, this guy that was like who's like years older than me who was trying to like raise me and like show me an example of what a man is and lo and behold he's a toxic little fucker so you know I have to unlearn that and, you know, figure that shit out on my own. And, like, I, I'm personally pretty lucky that I have the, you know, the ability to take a step back and, like, look at my situation, look at myself. Yeah. Some people don't have that. So that's why, like, I find a lot of trans people just get locked in this, like, soci- the society's toxic way of thinking. Yeah. Like, men, like that. Uh. They should be, God, like... Honestly, there should be programs for trans women and trans men. Uh, Kind of like the big brother or big sister like program, except specifically for trans people. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, there really is not enough in terms of mentorship uh, for for people.
0: Yeah. That's very true. Um, And I've been trying to do... This is one thing that has been talked about a lot in this season. Like you don't even realize like mentorship kind of comes up at least once every like two, three episodes or maybe like five times within every two, three episodes. It's insane. Mentorship, mentorship, mentorship. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for because we need guidance. We need to be able to have like a vision of ourselves um, through or like what our possibilities are, what our actual capabilities are, which is outside of poverty. Because that's all we see in the child welfare system. That's all people paint us to be. And that's what they painted you to be. That's what they painted me to be on these different committees, in these interviews. It's just this helplessness. It's a trauma bonding um, kind of scenario. And so we're stuck with this mentality way after we leave. And, it's, and that is so bad because that's how we end up homeless. That's how we end up in poverty and struggling for probably the rest of our lives because nobody's trying to teach us otherwise that we are more than that. Right. And I I want to ask you, like, what happened? Like what happened? Like, what was your journey after you left 360?
1: Oh boy. Um, Well, like I said, I got put into a different group home. I was moved to a group home in uh, Scarborough, uh, one called Kennedy House. And I was this, Man, this house was weird, because it was an old farmhouse that they had, and this house was definitely fucking haunted, let me tell you that. It <laughs> um, was Oakley, wasn't uh, it? Oakley? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Oakley was haunted, too, but not to the same degree as this house was. Like, this house, we had a guy, this random dude pull up in the driveway, and the staff were like, sketched out, they're like, look up, what's this guy doing here, and... Turns out it was the student who had lived there in the 70s or 80s as a kid. And he was like, I just wanted to visit and see what it's like. And I heard him talking to one of the staff and him saying how like, oh, you know that road that's in front there, the, like the Kennedy Road, that was just like dirt. That was just a dirt road and everything around was just farmland. And it, yeah, this is out in Scarborough near, um, near Pacific Mall like, on the border of, like, Scarborough and Marco. And, oh. yeah, no, it was an old house. And uh, I got moved there, stayed there for, I think, I stayed there for, like, eight, nine months before Maybe. I, I, yeah, I li- I stayed there for a little bit. I left on my 18th birthday. Towards the end of me staying there, uh, I, I had a buddy that, I had a guy there that I was, like, incredibly close with, uh, he in some ways was kind of like it was very sweet he was I still talk to him to this day he, he's yeah. he's like a brother essentially there was another kid living there and him and my buddy were like getting into fights every single day to the point where um, my guy my like my buddy uh, was having a mental breakdown and staff had to call the paramedics paramedics couldn't call them down so they called the police and the police decided that the best course of action in calming down a 16-year-old who is five foot four was getting six cops on top of him and tasing him and breaking his wrist. Um, yeah, and that was the day I left. I, uh, I, it was my 18th birthday, November 11th, and I left and moved in with a very close friend of mine uh, that I knew through uh, my time going into live-action role-playing games. And from there, I had to figure out how to be an adult, uh, live, on, how to rent and go to work. And I I moved around a lot. I couch surfed for a while, met somebody, got engaged to her, that fell apart. Moved to Scarborough to live with my best friend and uh, his at, like at the time they we were dating, and then I moved here and I'm living with my partner and roommate. Especially, like, looking back on it, it's so weirdly condensed in, like, all this shit happening. Uh, like, I I was always on the move from one house to the other and just, like, couch surfing, going, like, fucking figuring a worm to stay thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And, like, living in the second group home out of... uh. At, out at Kennedy House. Like, I obviously had my own uh, struggles there that was quite similar to, you know, living with you and Mitch. And, uh, you know, having to put up with, like, the kids there and, like, putting up with the staff. Um, in fact, I actually have to file a thing with the ombudsman in regards to the group of stayed in because they violated a, uh, a protocol. So I have to get that done. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like I said, it's weird, like looking back on it and trying to like piece it together, talk about it just because like, hey, I haven't done a lot of like break a lot of uh, the word? A reflection. Yeah, I haven't done a lot of reflection as well. as just like, you know, sitting down and breaking these things and, and like, breaking these things down and looking at, looking at it. Yeah, because drama. It yeah. not I'm telling you, this is
0: actually something um, Troy had brought up in our episode. Um, I will actually send you that episode afterwards, um, because it was a pretty good one. Um, It was basically, like, one thing that he really said is that typically we don't process what's happening to us while we're living in our trauma. But once we are out of it, it kind of, like, all hits us at once. And as, like, it, it did that for me. Like, I didn't even, I'm not sure if I told you, but, like, um, when I had went to university like I had almost lost my leg because like yeah you no know, yeah it's just when it all kind of hits you at once it gets too much and we live like I don't want to say that we live like the same life but like our situations are not far off like constantly yeah. moving constantly in another crisis it's just ongoing it doesn't stop in when you're in the midst of it, it's just like yo when is this ending? Because I can't take it anymore. It's too much. I don't have the energy for this anymore. I've tried, I've fought and like, I need to see an exit out of it soon or else like, I don't know where I'm going to be or what's going to happen to me. And I'm so grateful that you survived it all. I'm so proud of you for like surviving it all. Like you are so powerful and
1: like i
0: hope you like oh, realize God. that i uh, you I are Yo, i will fight you right now you are powerful <laughs> <laughs>
1: um i i really do appreciate it and you know same thing goes to you because you're doing all this like awesome shit right now you started your own podcast you're like working on a bunch of different things and trying of you know get our voices out there because nobody's been doing that you know when you have to put up with so much bullshit and like right now i, I don't know about you but like i right now we're both at a pretty like stable point in our where we're like okay we have our roof over our heads we have people that care about us and for the most part most current needs are met however at least for me i'm still like okay what's next yeah what what's gonna f- and like what what kind of bullshit am i gonna have to put up with again even though I know that like everything's chill. Like I got, I got a job, I got, I got a partner that I absolutely love, I have a best friend, I have two cats that I take care of. Like I, I should feel like it's fine now, but once it feels like it's not. It's you know? the learn
0: helplessness. It's yeah. the learn helplessness, it's 100% that. And there's, ah, oh, there's so much that I've learned over this past yeah. like six months so much that so many conversations that I've had with people one-on-ones and different like insights like you really do just get it when you like I don't know that's why I really want you to just like be a part of our season two in some capacity because like it has helped me have a new view of like you know what the trauma that life is behind me now it truly is behind me now It doesn't define me, and it's not going to define my future. And I'm training myself to see things other than crises, right? And the second that you're able to, like, train your brain to have that type of vision, I
1: kid you not, your life changes. Yeah, no, I'm just happy that like we're both doing pretty good. Yeah, we're both able to sit down and like look back on this shit and like actually talk about it.
0: Yeah. And it's one thing to talk about it for sure, but, like, I want to, I truly want to use our experiences to, like, change things now. Because yeah. you have such a powerful story. There's, like, I, not to, like, you know, like, put you in a bracket or anything like that, but the way that people will, like, bracket you is, like, yes, you're a trans person who's dealt with homelessness, who has dealt with, like, immigration and stuff, who had... You know like you're taking all of these minority sector boxes and you're able to speak on things that like really could change like for example your identification at the beginning of covid i still oh remember this and i addressed this as Don't soon as i that i legitimately went to like the office of the children's lawyers and we talked about it um in like this uh, little group meeting with like at least 80 people in it i'm like yo there's some people who don't have their identifications when they turn 18. And what that does is that they can't get a job. They can't open up a bank account. They can't get housing, nothing that needs to be priority. Like you have so much knowledge, so much that you can educate. And you're so incredibly fluent. You're still, so, you're, you're a good speaker. You have so much. Yeah, insight.
1: Like This is a good field for you to be in. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. Like I had asked my social worker, look, listen, I need help getting my birth certificate. I need you to help me get this. But because I had already turned 18, she's like, well, that's your problem. You're the one that's supposed to do that. You're an adult. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I fucking understand that. Thank you very much. However, I wasn't taught how to operate as an adult. Nobody taught me how to do that. Can you help me do that? She was just like, no, that's on you, kiddo. No. Um, but yeah, no, like, and especially considering the complexity of my situation, like I, it's not like I was born here. I can't just go to Service Ontario and ask them to get me a university. I have to go to the fucking embassy of Kazakhstan, talk to them, pay the money, have them to have them mail it from Kazakhstan over here. Um, you know, I look at this whole situation and I still haven't done anything about it just because of how overwhelming it is and yeah if only the government could give a shit that'd be nice
0: yeah no um yeah. that is not okay i wrote that down so i'd be able to like see what i could do on my end are you okay with that can i help you with yeah like, yeah yeah
1: you could yeah the only like i said the only reason why i haven't done anything about it is just because it's like fucking overwhelming this whole thing is. It is and also we're in the middle of covid i i got i got work to do i gotta pay my bills i can't be worrying about this shit right now
0: yeah but um you do have to worry about it you yeah. still absolutely do it should be yeah. a priority to some degree because it interferes with everything it interferes yeah. with your independence and that is oh big. yeah
1: so yeah. for example bank account like i only have a savings account that i have to pay out the ass and like service fees and when i tried to be like hey look can i like open up a new account they were like well we need some identification and i don't have it so yeah
0: i'm so happy that like i'm really able to connect with you again um i hope we're able to do some really good work going forward together yeah Yeah. if you're down yeah no
1: Oh, hell yes, I'm down. with it. Like, yeah, like, I've been pretty excited for this uh, whole thing with you because A, I get to talk to you again. B, I've been wanting to do something, you know? Like, I've been, like, hearing other people's experiences and, like, you know, looking back on my own experiences as well and, like, how the system failed us, essentially. Thinking, like, fuck. Like, is there anything I can do? Like, I wanna fucking do something about it, so. Yeah.
0: Let's do it, listen. Ooh. We we could definitely, I know you and I know like how incredibly strong resilient you are and just how um, eloquent you are with your words. We could definitely do, I have so many ideas. Okay, <laughs> you will be hearing more of Sam. I'm going to emphasize that. I, and I know we're coming close to the end of like this episode, particularly the conversation is not over it's not. Two final questions I want to ask you before we end today's conversation, if you're okay with that. The first one is, what is something that you understand or you know now that you wish you knew while you were still in the foster care system?
1: Your self-worth isn't dictated by who you have in your life. Because a lot of times I felt like looking back at it, Felt like I didn't have any family I felt like I didn't have any friends and I felt like that in itself doesn't directly translate into my self-worth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah sure I didn't I didn't have a lot of people growing up I didn't have a lot of supports but that still doesn't mean that I'm worthless yeah hell, like it kind of makes me feel like I'm a little worth more because I managed to work through all of those hardships on my own and I mm-hmm. still got out of it pretty I'm, I'm not going to say I got a fine. I came out of it with a lot of trauma, but I still, still came out of it. You know, it's still Absolutely. fine. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that. And lastly, what is something that you could use right now that could help you alleviate the effects of the foster care system?
1: Oh, my God better mental health care, better, better funding for mental health supports, not kicking us out of the system as soon as we turn 18 or until we turn 21 when we lost our money. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The fact that there's not, there's nothing proper set up to help us transition from turning, you know, turning 21 and having all of our sports funnels. Because I feel like that's where most Kids, most like former crowd wards, get like but, that they like fall through the cracks is having our, all of our sports cut off by the government. Like, I, I honestly think that there should be like a proper program set up that, like, you know, hey, you have a year left with us. Here's what we can do. Here's the plan. Or fucking extending it to 25 because that's when our brains stop, you know. Oh, brain stops developing. Yeah. Yeah, that's when our brains stop developing. That's when we, you know, scientifically speaking, become adults. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, yeah. Listen, I, I uh, the audience personally will know exactly what I'm going to say in response to that. Um, right now, because of COVID-19, they have put in place this, uh, or they're trying to put in place this system called a readiness-based system. So actually oh. replacing arbitrary age indicators at 18 and 21 and replacing it with readiness so like where is a person currently in their life are they ready to age out and if they're not then they are they are allowed to stay in care and so that also and they're also trying to um talk about or implement this uh aspect of it where youth who've already aged out might have the option
1: to go back into care
0: oh right
1: isn't that interesting that is very interesting. However, I feel like one way they're just gonna get around that by saying, Well, we think you're ready. Right. Get out of here. Like <laughs> we don't I don't have to help you. Right. I think you're fine. Like I'm a little suspicious of it. I don't of know course. like exactly how well that's gonna work, but you know, in a perfect world, it's gonna be a great
0: system. Oh yeah. I will continue to update you on how that's going, but like um, it is some interesting stuff, what they're doing. And I personally know the people who are actually leading that initiative. And uh-huh. so um, they are really trying to prioritize the youth in their, pay- in, in their opinion on where they are at in their current life. So obviously other people can't dictate where you like what your mental health is, what your level of independence is, that's up to you. And that's yeah. legitimately their motto thank you thank you so much for thank taking you. the time and speaking with me thank you for just like re-entering my life again and sharing these oh. stories and the good ones the bad ones and reflecting on like being able to reflect on our experiences it's just very refreshing for me to know that we've overcome it and i'm so proud of
1: you thank you i'm, I'm really proud of you too